what can I do now? I personally am like, I can get faster. I can get stronger. I can get more intelligent. Mentally, I can get stronger. I can become a better teammate, a better friend, a better leader. And that's motivation within itself, right? The opportunity to improve. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's John here. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Fueling the Pursuit presented by UCAN. The voice you just heard was that of Maggie Steffens, one of the top water polo players for the women's U.S. Olympic team. Our conversation with Maggie was so much fun. We touched on everything from how she has handled the mental challenge created by the pandemic that we're all experiencing. And we also touched on things like high pressure situations and how she handles them and the unique approach she takes with her teammates when it comes to leadership. Throughout our exploration of her mindset on these and so many other topics, the reoccurring theme that stood out to us was the need in life to be adaptable. It's very clear that this is one of the key characteristics that has helped Maggie excel at such a high level in her sport for so many years. And I think as you listen to our fascinating conversation with her in this episode, you'll discover a few tips you can apply to your own life to be a little more adaptable. But before we get into this episode with Maggie, I want to take a moment to introduce UCAN and this podcast to our newest listeners. UCAN is a go-to nutrition product of choice for so many elite athletes. But even UCAN knows that true success is about so much more than what you fuel your body with. It's also about how you fuel your passions, your motivation, and your mindset. And that's why this podcast is going to take you inside the minds of Olympians, elite athletes, coaches, and trainers to better understand what drives them to constantly push to achieve new personal bests. We're so excited that you guys are on this journey with us, and we really hope that we can give you a little more fuel as you work towards optimizing your own performances, both in sport and in life. Now, on to the episode with Maggie. All right, today's guest is Maggie Steffens, a two-time Olympian and current captain of the USA women's water polo team. She made her national debut at the age of 16 and competed in her first Olympics at 19, where she led Team USA to the gold medal, scoring an Olympic record, 21 goals and earning the tournament MVP. She then followed that up with another gold medal MVP performance in 2016. Widely regarded as the best women's water polo attacker in the world today, we're incredibly excited to learn how Maggie has achieved her amazing successes, how she continues to improve at her craft, and hopefully a few lessons about water polo training that we can apply to our own training. Maggie, thank you for being here. It's so great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. What's up, Maggie? How how are you doing today? Good. Been pretty busy. So yeah, yeah. You were saying you were just coming off of another interview. So we are so grateful for you to squeeze us into your very busy schedule as you prepare for another Olympics. So thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Can I just ask where are you at and and how everything's been going for you recently? Yeah. So, I mean, physically I'm in Long Beach. I live here now. We train in Los Alamitos, which is right around here. For those of you who don't know, we're right around uh, Orange County in LA. So we're in Southern California and this is our home base. So we've been as a team been training here since early 2019. Usually we train for a year and a half in full time, which means we all live here, we're all local, and we train six days a week together, about a year and a half before the Olympics. Obviously, 
the Olympics were postponed. So now let's yeah. turn it into about two and a half years. And next thing you knew, me and my boyfriend bought a home. So we really are like, <laughs> I am local. I live here. I'm here. So uh, yeah, this is where I'm at. This is where we train. And I'm originally from the Bay Area up in NorCal. So different lifestyle down here, but I enjoy it. And in terms of where our team is at, we've been training, unable to get games and competition in just because of, you know, yeah. this called COVID, but we've been able to still train a lot. And that's been our focus is just getting ourselves ready. And then hopefully coming up in the next couple of weeks, we're going to get to see a lot of other countries and actually get to play some games again, which I'm really excited about to prep for the Olympics. Where, where is that going to take place? So right now it should take place in SoCal. It, the plan is to have like a country would come here and we bubble together and they're not necessarily like official games, but we can make them as realistic as possible and just do games down here. I think it'd be super awesome if we're able to figure out a way to get some fans in. I'm watching more games on TV and it looks like they've been able to safely have friends and family or fans go to certain games and water polo is all outdoor here in California. So we're hoping to be able to share that experience, but it's tough, but that's the plan as of now. And then ideally we should be going to Europe in June for a pre Olympic tournament. It's called the world league super final. So as long as everything goes well, I feel like nowadays I used to be like, we're leaving on June 6th. We'll be back. We're going to do this, this, and this. Now I'm like, TBD. Yeah. Doctor, <laughs> you never know. But actually, hopefully we're going to Europe in June. I want to ask right. you, you know, in the middle of the pandemic, let's say, when it was really, there's nothing happening and there's no forecast for any ability to do games and stuff like that. Did you feel it had any like effect on you psychologically, losing that anchor on exactly what your schedule is and exactly where you're going to be and the indecisiveness of it all? Yeah, of course. I think if people were to say it didn't impact them mentally, I mean, they're, they're robots. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Like they just have being honest with themselves. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not here to judge. So you just never know, but I I definitely had to do a lot of self-reflection and had to figure out what exactly my emotions were to start when it all happened. I'm a very optimistic person and extremely hopeful. So I wouldn't say I was very honest with myself about what was happening. I was like, all right, I got to still, I even wrote my journal. All right. I have two weeks of quarantine. And then when we come back from the two weeks, I need to be fit and ready to jump back in the pool because the Olympics will be in two months and blah, blah, blah. And then about three days later, I wrote in my journal, the Olympics have been postponed. So You can see where I started at, which was once quarantine happened and all of that, I was still hopeful and optimistic and just set on making sure I was prepared physically, mentally, emotionally to come back and get ready for Tokyo 2020, Mm -hmm. uh, like actual 2020. And then once the postponement happened, I definitely was numb at first. I think it didn't fully hit me right away because you don't want to necessarily believe it. And obviously it's something that you think about 24 seven. And so I was very numb. And then I think once I was able to let it sit, it almost was like a grieving period for me, at least emotionally, 
So kind of like hit some anger. I was sad. I was frustrated. I was confused. And I let myself feel that. And I think that was really important. And then I realized, all right, it is what it is. Now, what can we do? And so I think once I was able to go through that grieving period a little bit, it was easier for me to have a more positive mindset of Mm -hmm. looking at COVID as an, and quarantine as like an opportunity and all right, how are we going to take advantage of this opportunity? Can I ask you about that? Actually, I, I really, I'm glad you went there because I have had many interactions with runners who have race schedules that they're so excited about. You know, maybe they have a big race they're training for and that race gets canceled because of COVID. And then it's so hard to get out and do the workouts that they were so excited to do because it's not there. And did you have that specific experience where it was hard to stay focused in your actual workouts? And then when you said, let's turn it into an opportunity, mm-hmm. what did that mean for you practically? What did you decide to do differently or to take advantage of it? Yeah. So I definitely can relate to those runners for sure. And I think it was different for me, or at least our sport of water polo is aquatic. Mm -hmm. And I don't have a backyard pool. No one could use pools. And so I was jealous because a lot of the land athletes I was watching and being inspired by, you know, they could do their sport in a weird Mm -hmm. way. Whereas my sport lives in the water. So that kind of shifted for me in terms of where I put my focus fitness wise and regimen wise, because I couldn't swim. I couldn't egg beat. I couldn't pass a ball in a pool, but I could do certain things on land. And so that was kind of problem number one, where we had to get creative, but I think it's important for those who are listening or can relate. Like we didn't have our home base. It'd be like Mm -hmm. taking the ground away from any land <laughs> a runner yeah <laughs> that's crazy you know so that made it really tough but you know in terms of the opportunity part it was almost like all right maybe i'm not training for the olympics anymore and that took a little bit of time but i knew at the end of the day i still needed to be a professional athlete i still needed to train like an olympian and be my best self and that didn't mean sitting around all day, although I definitely relaxed more than I ever have before, which is probably a positive because I never relax. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I found myself creating a schedule of my own because like you even talked about with the runners you've talked to as Olympic athletes and professional athletes, we live off of our schedule. We Mm -hmm. live off of, I, I call it a quad because we all call it quads because Olympics is every four years. You think of the Olympics and you work backwards. So even the way we think and the way we schedule and the way we train starts with a date and we move backward and then we build from there. So to have that date wiped clean a bit and not really have that in reach, my mindset had to change to, all right, maybe I'm not training my body to be ready for the Olympics in three months, but I still need to prepare my body to be an Olympic athlete. And so I'm not going to be able to do that in the water. I can't play water polo. I'm not with my teammates, but what are ways that I can continue to have fitness as a lifestyle, keep my body healthy Mm -hmm. and still be the professional Olympic athlete that I am. So I found myself, you know, even when we weren't in the pool or like we had nothing to look forward to in terms of training, no idea when we were coming back. But I would, you know, wake up every morning, do a morning yoga stretch, which never had done that before. I figured quarantine, why not? So I'd wake up, do like a morning stretch. I had a cycle bike at home. 
So I do a Peloton bike and then do a core workout or some sort of like lift. Mm -hmm. I would use Brick Athletic, which is an application. So it made it easier for me as well. And then during the middle of the day, I was helping kids a lot. So I was doing, I was staying involved water polo wise. A lot of kids were feeling the same things I was feeling about tournaments and high school season and not having pools. So I was doing a lot of Zoom sessions actually with kids and their club teams to be a beacon of light and just be able to communicate with them and, and relate, be some sort of motivation. And then in the afternoon, I created another practice. So I would go for a run. I would do ball handling skills, water polo stuff, shoulder physical therapy, and then do like a yoga session. And then towards the end of the day, I would use that as my decompressed time. So I basically took my schedule that I do every day, which is 7 to 10.30 and 1.30 to 4.30, shortened it because obviously I can't work out straight for that long without a pool and and teammates, Mm -hmm. but kind of created a double day of different activities and then still had my shutoff time of, all right, work is done. Now let's relax. I'll cook dinner. And that helped me keep a schedule during quarantine, which also helped me stay sane mentally uh, and emotionally, but also kept me really fit during that time period. I'm not a runner or anything like that. I ended up (laughs) running but I would create little goals for myself and I couldn't be in the pool. So let's create little tests and and challenges to see that I can continue to get better even out of the water. I ended up running a half marathon for fun with my teammate. She ran a full marathon. Wow. Yeah. I, I, it was cool and unplanned. (laughs) (laughs) My teammate, her name's Rachel Fatal and she's an amazing athlete and she had always wanted to run a marathon. So she had been training to run a marathon during quarantine. You know, like all of us athletes, we just wanted, like you asked, we almost created our own tournament or some sort of test or challenge sure. to look forward to. Yeah. So she decided to run a marathon and started training for it. And she had told me about it. And of course, like we're teammates. So I want to support her. I want to be by her side. And I ended up, I told her I'll run the first lap with her. She had created her own lap around seal beach. Mm-hmm. And then after the first lap, she was like, I have more, you want to keep coming? And I was like, well, I don't want to leave you by yourself. You know, that's the team aspect we have. And so yeah. next thing you knew, I just ran the rest of it with her. So <laughs> well, I was like, I'll probably never run a half marathon again. Might as well do it now with my teammate. Uh, so she ran a full marathon. I ran a half. I never ran again, really, because my knees were broken. And she still runs all the time. That's why she did the full. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's a good example, right? We just found other ways to test our bodies and test our minds mm-hmm. and stay active and try to find creative ways to also stay connected through that as well. But I had like a full on schedule I created for myself. Well, the thing that's really cool about what you're describing, Maggie, is, and Brian has said this to me at the beginning of the pandemic, and, and it's a really cool way of looking at things. He's like, you know, challenges or limitations are actually a great opportunity or put us in a position to have to be more creative, you know? And so the pandemic, what it's done to all of us, to some extent, mentally, it was, yeah, it's anybody that says it wasn't hard. I mean, maybe they had their stuff together and a really good way to be able to to deal with it, but that's very few people that could really honestly say that, but being more adaptive and being more creative 
seems to have been a byproduct for you of the, the experience of the pandemic during that period of time, you know, when it really kicked off and leading into when the Olympics were supposed to happen. One of the things that I know Brian had mentioned to you that we want to talk about is what's made you who you are today, right? And, and, and a lot of the experiences that you've had. So if you don't mind, talk about some of the experiences that you had collegiately and, and we'll transition to some other aspects of your career at this point. But I'd love to uh, jump into that with you a little bit and give some examples of who you really are and what makes you such a great athlete. I'm going to jump in because I have this question I've been wanting to ask you. And we talked before the podcast, you know, John and I went to UCLA and you're Stanford. So this is a fun opportunity for us to relive a terrible moment in history. Um, <laughs> so I wanted to ask you a little bit actually about the 2017 NCAA championship game because it was an incredible game and Stanford wins the game over UCLA, but it happened effectively in the last second shot that you made to win the game in the championship, which is you know, I, I don't usually think about this in, in water polo terms. I used to grow up th- imagining I was making the shot in basketball, right? Where you've got the buzzer coming down and you shoot it. You know, that's how I always envisioned it. But this is basically a situation you got to live out in real life in mm-hmm. college. And what I really want to ask you about that is, can you walk us through a little bit that moment as you remember it and how you thought about it at the time, which is maybe a little bit of a difficult question, but you have 30 seconds left to go. The game's tied. You've got a plan. What are you thinking when you head out there into the water in order to get yourself in position to actually make that shot? Man, I mean, kind of get nervous when I think about it. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It was, it was a really surreal moment for sure. And I'm trying to remember like exactly how I felt like when we had the, cause it was a timeout play and all of that. Um, Did you know you were going to get the ball? I had a very, strong feeling that okay. I was going to take the shot. Mm-hmm. And we had run that play all the time in practice and it was pretty rare that I would score. So oh. it wasn't necessarily a play where I was like, I went into it and I was like, this is a hundred percent or, you know, even 80% positive. I'm going to score because I do it all the time in practice. Actually, we ran that a lot. And like I said, it was sometimes we get the ball stolen. I, I would shoot it and not make it. And so mm-hmm. For me, it wasn't necessarily about confidence from the success I've had from it because I hadn't really had success in that play. It was almost confidence from the repetition I had done and confidence in the preparation I had done uh, with our team in general prior to that moment. And I think what's so interesting, you know, I grew up doing the same thing with Michael Jordan and water polo. You can have those moments clearly Mm -hmm. as well. And it's not like Michael Jordan always would be in practice and imagine he makes a last second shot and make it, but he at least put himself there mentally. And I think that was kind of me. what I've always tried to do in my career is when I train, I mentally try to put myself at the end. I mentally am imagining, okay, what if I am at the Olympics or at Stanford, we train and I would be like, all right, you know, like kind of, get myself in NC2As, even Mm -hmm. though I was at Stanford three months earlier. So Mm. I think for me, I can't say exactly what I was feeling, but I I don't really remember thinking all too much about it because I had almost done all the thinking prior. I I do remember thinking, all right, no matter what, I have to get a shot off if I get the ball. That's what matters. And just 
in this play, give it everything you have. Like this is my last probably college play. Be fully there, be fully present and give it everything you have. And that was where I was at. And I do, I basically in most of that season, it was really hard for me to earn a foul. Um, oh. Is that I just because <laughs> yeah, people were just, uh, okay. Yeah. You just, yeah, you're I mean, depending I, on refs to call those, right? So it's yeah, sort of, yeah. So, so for me, leaning into NC2A is I watched a bunch of video and realized for some reason I would do the same thing and couldn't earn a foul. And you can shoot off of a foul outside of five meters in college water polo. And so sometimes I'd try to earn a foul in a normal game so I could get a last second shot off and I could never earn a foul. And so the two, three, maybe four weeks leading to NC2As, I finally accepted that. And instead of looking at it and being frustrated and being like, why can't I get a foul? But for her, it's nothing. Mm-hmm. I realized, all right, this is what it is. And I asked the three biggest girls and the three strongest girls on, on our Stanford team to stay after practice with me for five minutes. And I literally would say, Hey, I want you to almost lay on top of my head and put all the pressure you can on me and be as physical as possible. And I have to try to somehow not be fouled and still score or at least get a shot off. Mm -hmm. And I think once I was able to accept that and then work on it and practice not getting it and practice like that failure Mm -hmm. and try to successful through that failure that helped me with that final shot because that's exactly what happened it was usually in the timeouts my coach would call a foul but I knew that would never happen and so I figured the only way to get a shot off is I've got to be able to imagine having two or three girls coming at me or on top of me and still get a shot off so yeah I luckily had Mackenzie Fisher who's my Olympic teammate as well and she was setting like the best pick I've ever seen in my life I'm sure everyone <laughs> uh-huh. was holding everyone it was like a last <laughs> second thing uh, but she was a huge part of that play huge huge part but yeah that's kind of I was able to take confidence from that I knew I had worked on that after practice in I, my own time I think that that's absolutely amazing you know and the thing that stands out to me the way you describe that which I think is a huge takeaway for uh, all of us is you said, put yourself there mentally. And I completed the sentence in my head, put yourself there mentally in practice. You got to get used to or recreate certain scenarios in any part of our lives, right? Where we want to be successful, but we also have an idea of probably some of the challenges that we're going to face in those moments. That's going to be an obstacle to the outcome that we're trying to achieve. So the fact that you're choosing to do that, that's really cool to put that into words so that we can all think about, well, if I really want to be successful in in challenging situations, I have to recreate those situations. And I have to have the intention of knowing that it might not work out even in the moments when I'm practicing it. But if you do it enough times, when the moment comes to execute is going to be there and the results are going to be what they may. But your description of it in this particular experience I absolutely love it. I think it really paints the picture really well of you got to go there mentally first. I want to add one more thing too. And it's that I love that you accepted that reality is not what it should be. (laughs) Because I think that's the challenge we all face. I'm going to train for it as if everything is going to play out the way it should play out. And that is actually not what we usually experience when you're in any sport. There are times when it all works out exactly as it's supposed to. But often you find yourself dealing with situations that are totally realistic and something you can prepare for, but that are not really either ideal or fair sometimes, right? In your case. Yeah. And 
Yeah. So I love that. And I think it's really practical. I, I think it's something that even applies outside of sports, right? It's just accepting your reality and training for that is really key to success generally. And, and I like that you were creative on how you did it. I think that's cool that you had your teammates just basically foul you and you practice <laughs> that. I imagine the practice and I, I'm trying to smiling and imagining it. Imagine yeah. your teammates having fun. They're like, yeah, sure. We'd love to dunk you in the yeah, water. They're like, you-, you want me to, you want me to, yeah. <laughs> they know exactly who they are too. So yeah, know. exactly. Um, that's fun. So as a general rule, I wanted to ask you about prioritization as well in your training. And speaking of this one, what comes to mind is this idea of what do you focus on when you're actually practicing shooting? In this case, you gave an example of how you practice a situation where somebody's lying on top of you and you have to try to score despite that. But when you're in the pool or I guess even outside the pool and you're practicing shooting, do you have a sort of process you go through to try to make sure that you're staying focused on the right things? Maybe that's your form. Maybe that's uh. I mean, you probably break down a water polo shot in a detail that I can't even really imagine right now. So how do you think about what you're practicing and when you're practicing it? Yeah, I think it definitely depends on the intention, right? So for example, if we get free time to shoot, Mm -hmm. our coach hasn't told us an intention behind our shots, we get to choose it. I think for me, that's a really important time to try new things and develop them. So my intention there might not always be the score. Mm-hmm. It, it might be, let me try this new shot or let me always shoot high, right, hit the right high corner of the goal. And if the goalie blocks it, that's fine. I just want to practice repetitively going to a certain spot of the cage. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's even just as simple as that, like working on accuracy or location repetitively. Other times, maybe I'm trying a creative shot. So a different way I release the ball. So similarly, maybe I'm not trying to score because I'm trying something new. Mm-hmm. So I fail every single time, but I'm starting mm-hmm. to learn what works, what doesn't, and be able to add some tools to my toolbox. So I think that's one part. Another part shooting wise is when I am trying to execute. So when I am trying to score, there's different facets to that. So Am I using my legs? Am I using my core? Or am I just using my arm and shoulder? Because if I'm just using my arm and shoulder, it's probably not a good thing. Mm. So for me, if I can get my full body into my shot and focus on that, like, all right, and listen to my body as well. Sometimes I'll shoot it and it feels wrong. And I can listen to my body and be like, all right, that one, I dropped my elbow, bad form. I didn't use my legs. Next time, to force myself to use my legs, I'm going to ask my teammate to pass it really high, Mm -hmm. you know, so being able to listen to my body and get all of the moving pieces, because there are so many moving pieces to just shooting a water polo ball involved, and not just taking the lazy way out. So that is something for sure. I think about how do I get my whole body involved? Is my form correct, more or less? And then can I put some power behind it by using my whole body? So those are two aspects of it in terms of like physically and also developing new tricks of the trade. And then I would say the last part is what we just talked about, which is mentally. So Mm -hmm. can I put myself in a situation or can I practice a lot of times if we had a scrimmage the day before and I struggled to make a certain shot or I tried something and it didn't work. Now is a good time to do it again, but fully recreate it, which doesn't just mean 
adding in my teammates on defense and offense, it's recreating it mentally so Mm. that I can kind of picture what did I do? What did I do wrong? And now how can I come up with a creative solution to be better? And that's not just physically, but putting yourself there mentally in the past so that you can practice that to be ready for mentally in the future as well. So those are three facets I would say that are important to prepping when it comes to shooting and what a lot of times I'm thinking about, but it really depends on the intention. If the intention is, all right, like John, it's you and me. I just got to beat you. Like you're shot blocking me. My intention is to beat the shot block. Right. Right. <laughs> and you would. No. And you yeah, would. You would. <laughs> I, I promise. <laughs> I, I, would, I, would, I would be submerged under the water <laughs> because yeah. I cannot tread. <laughs> well, you never know until you try, right? No. Uh, yeah. I have tried, I promise. No. <laughs> but one of the things I want to say about what you're describing in terms of priorities and what you focus on as a world-class, one of the greats in, in water polo today is you're talking about all the work that has to be done. One of the really cool questions that I like that we have written up here is motivation. So there's all the stuff that you have to do and you've been doing this at a high level for a very long time. What do you do to actually be motivated to do all the work that's required. Cause there's so much more to do. It's as simple as that. I think okay. I'm definitely proud of what I've been able to accomplish and not accomplish in my past <laughs> through my career. But at the same time, there's still a lot more that I can give and do. And that requires a lot of work, but I see a lot of development. I see a lot of growth. That's a a big value of mine is growth. And so Mm -hmm. just being able to see the opportunity and room for improvement is a huge motivation for me. Look what I've been able to do so far. What can I do now? I personally am like, I can get faster. I can get stronger. I can get more intelligent. Mentally, I can get stronger. I can become a better teammate, a better friend, a better leader. And that's motivation within itself, right? The opportunity to improve. Right. So I would say that's one of the biggest things. And then also, I am very proud of who I represent. And that's a huge motivation for me. I represent, you know, my family, the Stephens name. I represent yeah. Stanford, the Stanford name. I represent USA. I mean, yeah. the USA name and, and the water polo name as well. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm very avid about helping grow the sport and creating better opportunity for water polo in the future. And so that's also a big motivation for me is opening up the doors for young boys and girls to pursue their dream in water polo as well. And that's part of my job and our team's job. So there's a lot of motivational factors. I mean, just having a team, I've said this many times before, but like, yeah, I would not be here if I was in an individual sport. Like team to me is everything and to have teammates that you're fighting for and training for and getting through those tough moments, getting through adversity, you do that for your teammates. Absolutely. So I think that's a huge motivation as well. I could go on. Somebody asked me the other day, what's your one motivation? I'm like, <laughs> you write a book of my yeah. motivation? You know what's cool, Maggie? It seems very apparent to me, at least, that all those things in consideration, it seems like you just love what you do. Yeah, for sure. No, you know I what I mean? We talk about, there's the notion, do what you love and you never work a day in your life. That's what yeah. we say. But your energy, the way that you're talking about it, you truly love the sport. And I would 
assume, or at least love to ask you, you love it, right? I mean, it must be a big part of, (laughs) at the end of the day, it's you just love what you're doing. No, I love the sport and I love that I can continue improving and continue challenging myself. I think that's pretty amazing about this sport. It's just, it's so hard. And Mm -hmm. uh, because of that, there's always room for improvement and room for growth. And I love being a part of my team. Like I love the woman I get to train with and I love being a part of the Olympic movement. So all of that combined, I think is pretty special. I'm definitely privileged to be be doing what I do. Can I ask you about the the transition to a leadership role on the team? Because you started off and were one of the top attackers, but you were so young. I mean, one of the things that I was always striking about when somebody joins the Olympic team as a teenager is that you're playing with women. Like they have lives, like they've had, yeah. they're like, they've had a ton of experience. They want to get married. I'm yeah, like, married. figure out how to cook chicken. You know? <laughs> exactly. They, you're, you're now in this position of being one of the team leaders, maybe from a performance standpoint, but other people are probably carrying the load leadership wise from a team standpoint, let's say. Right. But can you talk a little bit about how you've transition to take on more leadership responsibilities and how that's maybe affected how you approach being on the team and and what it means to be on the team? Yeah, I think for me, I was really fortunate because when I joined the team, there were a lot of older girls who had been to the Olympics before and Mm -hmm. had the experience that I definitely did not have. So to have women who already were so confident in who they were helped me go through some self-discovery to figure out the women that I am. And because of that, I was able to learn a lot of different leadership styles and be more aware of what I could bring to the table in the future, but learn that from the woman around me. And my sister was actually on the team in 2012. She's six years older than me. And she was a huge part of, of that as well. And so I was very lucky because it wasn't like I was joining a team with a bunch of me's that Mm -hmm. were just excited Mm -hmm. to be there young and uh, hungry. I had a lot of women who were independent, strong women, and I could look up to them and see, all right, all of them are unique and different in their own way. Not one girl is the same. Not one woman is the same, but they all bring these values to our team that make us such a strong unit. And it wasn't like Brenda Villa was our captain at the time, one of the best players of all time. And it wasn't like we went to her for everything, right? And so for me, I was able to be a part of a team where shared leadership was really vital. And Brenda was probably our main leader in the water, her voice, um, her experience. Also, she had her and Heather Petrie, who's another four-time Olympian, they had this was their fourth Olympic. So a lot of questions, even like logistically or or feeling wise, I could talk to them about, but then you had other leaders like my sister or Betsy Armstrong or goalie, Cammie Craig, Lauren Wanger. So who all had their own way of leading. And some of it, like you were alluding to some was almost like more outside the pool. Mm -hmm. So I looked to certain people to figure out how should I act in the weight room? How do I be a professional athlete? How do I do this? How do I do that? And then in the water, I look to other people. Okay, yeah. how do I do this? Or what should I communicate? What should I say? And that's something that our team has now. I'm captain, but that doesn't mean that I'm the leader. I'm one of the leaders. So I you know, am more vocal in the water. I definitely take a more similar role to Brenda, for example, where... I, I lead in the water a lot. You have other leaders. And I think of like Mel Seidemann, for example, 
her and I have been through this process together and she's a huge leader outside of the water. We look to her a lot to get us on the same page and make sure that we're doing what we need to do. Same with Ashley Johnson, Maddie Musselman. I can name a lot of different leaders on our team, which makes it really fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it also makes each of our jobs a lot easier because we Mm -hmm. have each other to to lean on. I was going to say that's kind of a big deal to be able to have that type of uh, shared responsibility on a team because one of the things that I feel in organizations and groups that's missing a lot of times is having this opportunity to feel actually respected and given an opportunity to be responsible for the success of the group. Mm -hmm. A lot of times there might be one or two people dictating things and everybody's just following suit. And it's not that everybody isn't necessarily excited to be a part of the group, but the dynamic changes, the success of the group really changes when people feel like they have a voice and they're being heard. And so I can only imagine how dynamic that makes your team because you have that approach to leadership and also that type of camaraderie and understanding amongst the group. I can only imagine that elevating how close and how in sync you guys really are when you perform. Yeah, it definitely makes it really special. And I think too, like it's powerful as well to have a male coach, Adam Krikorian, who supports that. He's a big proponent of shared leadership and kind of letting us take ownership of the team, although it takes us time to build it. And he, mm-hmm. he has to help yeah. us. That's his job. And we can be difficult at times, but being able to take ownership of the team that comes with the support we have from our coach, which is pretty cool to have a male coach be so supportive of us women taking that leadership and making the team ours, which is really fun. I think this actually gives us the chance as we come close to closing up here to circle back to what you were talking about, the the challenges and struggles of training for Tokyo 2021. We started with how difficult that is, but now, you know, given your team and the relationships that you guys have built and the leadership that everybody has, when you're looking forward to 2021, you probably know how many days is it before you're supposed to be in Tokyo competing now? It's less than a hundred, right? Less than a hundred, less than 90. Less than 90, right? Okay. So, <laughs> so you're getting really close. I mean, how, yeah, how is that going? We're, we're about two and a half months from start date. So yeah, it's a lot of emotions. It's scary. It's exciting. You know, there's a lot to it. And I think if we can just keep focusing on what we need to do to be our best as we prepare for other teams, of course, but definitely the focus right now is preparing to be our best when our best is needed and being the team we want to be. And are we there yet? No, I would hope not. That's not where we want to be right now. Right. So yeah, we're focused on being ready for July and August, of course, and getting in the training we need doing the outside of the pool things that we need to be doing and then just continuing to build our team so that we can be ready to face any adversity not just as individuals, but as a group. Mm-hmm. Maggie, as we wrap up, I want to just give you a chance to talk about it. Are there any other projects that you have going on? I imagine right now it's pretty one track mind Olympics. It's hundred percent in there, but is there anything else you'd like to call out things you're involved in or things that, that you want to call attention to? Yeah. Yeah. So definitely right now I'm trying to be a sharp knife when it comes to Olympic training. I've unfortunately had to cut away some things right now to be able to prioritize and be that sharp knife. But it's been actually a really cool experience to 
I'm a co-founder of a company called Six Eight Sports that I co-founded with Tony Azevedo, a five-time Olympic water polo player, living legend. Mm-hmm. Uh, and our mission is to equalize opportunity in the sport of water polo and, and in the future, other developing sports that aren't on TV and aren't as well known. How can we create more exposure? How can we create more opportunity? And how can we revolutionize those sports, bring data and technology to them so that they can continue to grow and get to their full potential? Uh, just like Tony and I were fortunate enough to do in our personal careers. So it's been really fun, actually, with 6-8 Sports to coexist with my Olympic journey right now because I'm working with a lot of kids through our 6-8 Academy. We do 6-8 Sports as the first standardized metric or measurement test for water polo. So we've been running that test on thousands of kids and we get to help individuals who may not have had the resources, may not have had the exposure opportunity to go to where they're going now if we hadn't noticed them and given them that chance. So for me, that's been really cool because it brings what I'm doing full circle with my own team is I get to pursue my Olympic dream and our team's Olympic dream. But hopefully through 6-8 Sports, I'm helping some kid out there get that door, get Mm -hmm. that chance to also pursue their dream. Mm-hmm. whether that's the Olympics or college or whatever. So that's been a gift for me with six state sports is helping kids reach their full potential and, and helping provide that door and that window for them, just like I was provided as a kid. And that kind of gives me motivation as well. I want to be a part of that journey and help grow this sport that I love clearly um, mm-hmm. and keep it going. So that's been really cool for me. And and hopefully our company does well moving forward. But I've definitely had to take a step back from it so that, you know, I love being a businesswoman. I love being an entrepreneur, but that's not my main priority right now. My main priority is being my my best self for my team. Yep. Awesome. Maggie, thank you so much for coming on yeah, and, and walking us through some of this, you know, uh, I love being able to pick the brain of somebody who does a sport I don't know that much about. And and part yeah. of what I love is that the answers are always surprisingly consistent with what I expect, but with some sort of nuance that I never have thought about, you know, like it, it, it comes from a different angle, a different perspective. So yeah. um, it's been a pleasure for me and I want to wish you the best of luck in Tokyo 2021. Yeah. Go win the gold. We'll be cheering for you. Yeah, maybe. Thank you. All right, John, I'll leave it to you. Yeah, no, thank you so much. I feel like we've learned a lot. There were so many great moments in this conversation, great takeaways. Thanks again for taking the time to share with us some highlights from your story and also just big takeaways in terms of what we can do to have stronger mindsets and be better in all areas of life. So keep doing what you're doing, keep kicking butt and best of luck in Tokyo. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Fueling the Pursuit presented by UCAN. For both athletes and active people, Controlling blood sugar is the key to optimizing focus, performance, and recovery. Thankfully, UCAN has developed a patented ingredient to deliver long-lasting energy while stabilizing blood sugar levels. So to properly fuel your pursuit both with the right nutrition and with the right food for thought, make sure to visit ucan.co forward slash podcast to subscribe to our podcast show, to see our current lineup of upcoming guests, 
and of course, to learn more about UCAN's amazing products.